Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading two stories from the Blue Fairy Book, Puss in Boots and Felicia and the Pot of Pinks by Andrew Lang. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. The Master Cat or Puss in Boots There was a miller who left no more estate to the three sons he had than his mill, his ass, and his cat. The partition was soon made. Neither scrivener nor attorney was sent for. They would soon have eaten up all the poor patrimony. The eldest had the mill, the second had the ass, and the youngest nothing but the cat. The poor young fellow was quite comfortless at having so poor a lot. My brothers, said he, may get their living handsomely enough by joining their stocks together. But for my part, when I have eaten up my cat and made me a muff of his skin, I must die of hunger. The cat, who heard all this, but made as if he did not, said to him with a grave and serious air, Do not thus afflict yourself, my good master. You have nothing else to do but to give me a bag and get me a pair of boots made for me, that I may scamper through the dirt and the brambles, and you shall see that you have not so bad a portion in me as you imagine. The cat's master did not build very much upon what he said. He had often seen him play a great many cunning tricks to catch rats and mice, as when he used to hang by the heels 
or hide himself in meals, and make as if he were dead, so that he did not altogether despair of his affording him some help in his miserable condition. When the cat had had what he asked for, he booted himself very gallantly, and putting his bag about his neck, he held the strings of it in his two forepaws, and went into a warren where was great abundance of rabbits. He put bran and sowed thistle into his bag, and stretching out at length, as if he had been dead, he waited for some young rabbits, not yet acquainted with the deceits of the world, to come and rummage through his bag for what he had put in it. Scarce was he lain down, but he had what he wanted. A rash and foolish young rabbit jumped into his bag, and Monsieur Puss, immediately drawing close the strings, took and killed him without pity. Proud of his prey, he went with it to the palace and asked to speak with his majesty. He was shown upstairs into the king's apartment, and, making a low reverence, said to him, I have brought you, sir, a rabbit of the warren, which my noble lord, the Marquis of Carabas, for that was the title which Puss was pleased to give his master, has commanded me to present to your majesty for him. Tell thy master, said the king, that I thank him, and that he does me a great deal of pleasure. Another time he went and hid himself among some standing corn, holding still his bag open, and when a brace of partridges ran into it, he drew the strings and so caught them both. He went and made a present of these to the king, as he had done before of the rabbit which he took in the warren. The king, in like manner, received the partridges with great pleasure, and ordered him some money for drink. The cat continued for two or three months thus to carry his majesty from time to time, game of his master's taking. One day in particular, when he knew for certain that he was to take the air along the riverside with his daughter, the most beautiful princess in the world, he said to his master, If you will follow my advice, your fortune is made. You have nothing else to do but to go and wash yourself in the river, 
in that part I shall show you, and leave the rest to me. The Marquis of Carabas did what the cat advised him to, without knowing why or wherefore. While he was washing, the king passed by, and the cat began to cry out, Help! Help! My lord Marquis of Carabas is going to be drowned. At this noise, the king put his head out of the coach window, and, finding it was the cat who had so often bought him such good game, he commanded his guards to run immediately to the assistance of his lordship, the Marquis of Carabas. While they were drawing the poor Marquis out of the river, the cat came up to the coach and told the king that, while his master was washing, there came by some rogues who went off with his clothes, though he had cried out, Thieves! thieves, several times as loud as he could. This cunning cat had hidden them under a great stone. The king immediately commanded the officers of his wardrobe to run and fetch one of his best suits for the Lord Marquis of Carabas. The king caressed him after a very extraordinary manner, and, as the fine clothes he had given him extremely set off his good mane, for he was well made and very handsome in person, the king's daughter took a secret inclination to him, and the Marquis of Carabas had no sooner cast two or three respectful and somewhat tender glances, but she fell in love with him to distraction. The king would needs have him come into the coach and take part of the airing. The cat, quite overjoyed to see his project begin to succeed, marched on before, and, meeting with some countrymen who were mowing a meadow, he said to them, Good people, you who are mowing, if you do not tell the king that the meadow you mows belongs to my lord Marquis of Carabas, you shall be chopped as small as herbs for the pot. The king did not fail in asking of the mowers to whom the meadow they were mowing belonged. To my lord Marquis of Carabas, answered they all together, for the cat's threats had made them terribly afraid. You see, sir, said the Marquis, 
This is a meadow which never fails to yield a plentiful harvest every year. The master cat, who went still on before, met with some reapers and said to them, Good people, you who are reaping, if you do not tell the king that all this corn belongs to the Marquis of Carabas, you shall be chopped as small as herbs for the pot. The king, who passed by a moment after, would needs know to whom all that corn, which they then saw, did belong. To my lord Marquis of Carabas, replied the reapers, and the king was very well pleased with it, as well as the Marquis whom he congratulated thereupon. The master cat, who went always before, said the same words to all he met, and the king was astonished at the vast estates of my lord Marquis of Carabas. Monsieur Puss came at last to a stately castle, the master of which was an ogre, the richest had ever been known. For all the lands which the king had then gone over belonged to this castle. The cat, who had taken care to inform himself who this ogre was and what he could do, asked to speak with him, saying he could not pass so near his castle without having the honour of paying his respects to him. The ogre received him as civilly as an ogre could do, and made him sit down. I have been assured, said the cat, that you have the gift of being able to change yourself into all sorts of creatures you have a mind to. You can, for example, transform yourself into a lion or elephant and the like. That is true, answered the ogre very briskly. And to convince you, you shall see me now become a lion. Puss was so sadly terrified at the sight of the lion so near to him, that he immediately got into the gutter, not without abundance of trouble and danger, because of his boots which were of no use at all to him in walking upon the tiles. A little while after, when Puss saw that the ogre had resumed his natural form, he came down, and owed he had been very much frightened. I have been, 
moreover, informed, said the cat, but I know not how to believe it, that you have also the power to take on the shape of the smallest animals, for example, to change yourself into a rat or a mouse, but I must own that to you I take this to be impossible. Impossible, cried the ogre, you shall see presently. And at the same time, he changed himself into a mouse and began to run about the floor. Puss no sooner perceived this, but he fell upon him and ate him up. Meanwhile, the king, who saw as he had passed this fine castle of the ogres, had a mind to go into it. Puss, who heard the noise of his majesty's coach running over the drawbridge, ran out and said to the king, Your majesty is welcome to this castle of my lord Marquis of Carabas. What? My lord Marquis? cried the king. And does this castle also belong to you? There can be nothing finer than this court and all the stately buildings which surround it. Let us go into it, if you please. The Marquis gave his hand to the princess and followed the king who went first. They passed into a spacious hall, where they found a magnificent collation, which the ogre had prepared for his friends, who were that very day to visit him, but dared not to enter, knowing the king was there. His majesty was perfectly charmed with the good qualities of my lord Marquis of Carabas, as was his daughter, who had fallen violently in love with him, and, seeing the vast estate he possessed, said to him, after having drunk five or six glasses, It will be owing to yourself, my lord Marquis, if you are not my son-in-law. The Marquis, making several low bows, accepted the honour which his majesty conferred upon him, and forthwith, the very same day, married the princess. Puss became a great lord, and never ran after mice any more, but only for his diversion. Felicia and the Pot of Pinks Once upon a time there was a poor labourer who, 
feeling that he had not much longer to live, wished to divide his possessions between his son and daughter, whom he loved dearly. So he called them to him, and said, Your mother has brought me as her dowry, two stools and a straw bed. I have, besides, a hen, a pot of pinks, and a silver ring, which were given me by a noble lady who once lodged in my poor cottage. When she went away, she said to me, Be careful of my gifts, good man. See that you do not lose the ring or forget to water the pinks. As for your daughter, I promise you that she shall be more beautiful than anyone you ever saw in your life. Call her Felicia, and when she grows up, give her the ring and the pot of pinks to console her for her poverty. Take them both then, my dear child, he added, and your brother shall have everything else. The two children seemed quite contented and when their father died they wept for him, and divided his possessions as he had told them. Felicia believed that her brother loved her, but when she sat down upon one of the stools, he said angrily, Keep your pot of pinks and your ring, but let my things alone. I like order in my house. Felicia, who was very gentle, said nothing, but stood up and cried quietly, while Bruno, for that was her brother's name, sat comfortably by the fire. Presently, when supper time came, Bruno had a delicious egg and he threw the shell to Felicia, saying, There, that is all I can give you. If you don't like it, go out and catch frogs. There are plenty of them in the marsh close by. Felicia did not answer, but she cried more bitterly than ever, and went away to her own little room. She found it filled with sweet scent of the pinks, and, going up to them, she said sadly, Beautiful pinks, you are so sweet and so pretty. You are the only comfort I have left. Be very sure that I will take care of you, and water you well, and never allow you any cruel hand to tear you from your stem. As she leaned over them, she noticed that they were very dry. So, taking her pitcher, 
she ran off in the clear moonlight to the fountain, which was at some distance. When she reached it, she sat down upon the brink to rest, but she had hardly done so when she saw a stately lady coming toward her, surrounded by numbers of attendants. Six maids of honour carried her train, and she leaned upon the arm of another. When they came near the fountain, a canopy was spread for her, under which was placed a sofa of cloth of gold, and presently a dainty supper was served upon a table covered with dishes of gold and crystal, while the wind in the trees and the falling water of the fountain murmured the softest music. Felicia was hidden in the shade, too much astonished by all she saw to venture to move. But in a few moments, the queen said, I fancy I see a shepherdess near that tree. Bid her come hither. So Felicia came forward and saluted the queen timidly but with so much grace that all were surprised. What are you doing here, my pretty child? asked the queen. Are you not afraid of robbers? Ah, madame, said Felicia, a poor shepherdess who has nothing to lose does not fear robbers. You are not very rich, then. I am so poor, answered Felicia, that a pot of pinks and a silver ring are my only possessions in the world. But you have a heart, said the queen. What should you say if anybody wanted to steal that? I do not know what it is like to lose one's heart, madam, she replied. But I have always heard that without a heart one cannot live, and if it is broken one must die, and in spite of my poverty I should be sorry not to live. You are quite right to take care of your heart, pretty one, said the queen. But tell me, have you supped? No, madam, answered Felicia. My brother ate all the supper there was. Then the queen ordered that a place should be made for her at the table and herself loaded Felicia's plate with all good things, but she was too much astonished to be hungry. I want to know what you were doing at the fountain so late, 
said the queen presently. I came to fetch a pitcher of water for my pot of pigs, madam, she answered, stooping to pick up the pitcher which stood beside her. But when she showed it to the queen, she was amazed to see that it had turned to gold, all sparkling with great diamonds, and the water of which it was full was more fragrant than the sweetest roses. She was afraid to take it until the queen said, It is yours, Felicia. Go and water your pot of pinks with it, and let it remind you that the queen of the woods is your friend. The shepherdess threw herself at the queen's feet and thanked her kindly and humbly for her gracious words. Ah, madam, she cried, if I might beg you to stay here a moment, I would run and fetch my pot of pinks for you. They could not fall into better hands. Go, Felicia said the queen, stroking her cheek softly. I will wait here until you come back. So Felicia took up her pitcher and ran to her little room. But while she had been away, Bruno had gone in and taken her pot of pinks, leaving a great cabbage in its place. When she saw the unlucky cabbage, Felicia was much distressed and did not know what to do. But at last she ran back to the fountain and, kneeling before the queen, said, Madam, Bruno has stolen my pot of pinks, so I have nothing but my silver ring but I beg you to accept it as proof of my gratitude. But if I take your ring, my pretty shepherdess, said the queen, you will have nothing left, and what will you do then? Ah, madam, she answered simply, if I have your friendship, I shall do very well. So the queen took the ring and put it on her finger and mounted her chariot, which was made of coral studded with emeralds and drawn by six milk-white horses. And Felicia looked at her until the winding of the forest path hid her from sight, and then she went back to the cottage, thinking over all the wonderful things that had happened. The first thing she did when she reached her room was to throw the cabbage out of the window, but she was very much surprised to hear an odd little voice cry out, 
Oh, I am half killed, and could not tell where it came from, because cabbages do not generally speak. As soon as it was light, Felicia, who was very unhappy about her pot of pinks, went out to look for it, and the first thing she found was the unfortunate cabbage. She gave it a push with her foot, saying, What are you doing here, and how dare you put yourself in the place of my pot of pinks. If I hadn't been carried, replied the cabbage, you may be very sure that I shouldn't have thought of going there. It made her shiver with fright to hear the cabbage talk, but he went on, If you would be good enough to plant me by my comrades again, I can tell you where your pot of pinks are at this moment, hidden in Bruno's bed. Felicia was in despair when she heard this, not knowing how she was going to get them back but she replanted the cabbage very kindly in his old place, and, as she finished doing it, she saw Bruno's hen, and said, catching hold of it, Come here, horrid little creature, you shall suffer for all the unkind things my brother has done. Ah, shepherdess, said the hen, don't kill me, I am rather a gossip, I can tell you some surprising things that you will like to hear. Don't imagine that you are the daughter of the poor labourer who brought you up, your mother was a queen, who had six girls already, and the king threatened that unless she had a son who could inherit his kingdom, she should have her head cut off. So when the queen had another little daughter, she was quite frightened, and agreed with her sister, who was a fairy, to exchange her for the fairy's little son. Now the queen had been shut up in a great tower by the king's orders, and when a great many days went by, and still she heard nothing from the fairy, she made her escape from the window by means of a rope ladder taking her little baby with her. After wandering about until she was half dead with cold and fatigue, she reached this cottage. I was the labourer's wife and a good nurse, 
and the queen gave you in my charge, and told me all her misfortunes, and then died before she had time to say what would become of you. As I never in all my life could keep a secret, I could not help telling this strange tale to my neighbours, and one day a beautiful lady came here, and I told it to her also. When I had finished, she touched me with a wand she held in her hand, and instantly I became a hen, and there was the end of my talking. I was very sad, and my husband, who was out when it happened, never knew what became of me. After seeking me everywhere, he believed that I must be drowned or eaten up by wild beasts in the forest. That same lady came here once more and commanded that you should be called Felicia and left the ring and the pot of pinks to be given to you. And while she was in the house, twenty-five of the king's guards came to search for you, doubtless meaning to kill you. But she muttered a few words, and immediately they all turned into cabbages. It was one of them whom you threw out the window yesterday. I don't know how it was that he could speak. I have never heard either of them say a word before, nor have I been able to do it myself until now. The princess was greatly astonished at the hen's story and said kindly, I am truly sorry for you, my poor nurse, and wish it was in my power to restore you to your real form. But we must not despair. It seems to me, after what you have told me, that something must be going to happen soon. Just now, however, I must go and look for my pinks, which I love better than anything in the world. Bruno had gone out into the forest, never thinking that Felicia would search in his room for the pinks, and she was delighted by his unexpected absence and thought to get them back without further trouble. But as soon as she entered the room, she saw a terrible army of rats who were guarding the straw bed. And when she attempted to approach it, they sprang at her, biting and scratching furiously. Quite 
terrified, she drew back, crying out, Oh, my dear Pinks, how can you stay here in such bad company? Then she suddenly bethought herself of the pitcher of water, and, hoping that it might have some magic power, she ran to fetch it, and sprinkled a few drops over the fierce-looking swarm of rats. In a moment, not a tail or whisker was to be seen. Each one had made for his hole as fast as his legs could carry him, so that the princess could safely take her pot of pinks. She found them nearly dying for want of water, and hastily poured all that was left in the pitcher upon them. As she bent over them, enjoying their delicious scent, a soft voice that seemed to rustle among the leaves said, Lovely Felicia, the day has come at last when I may have the happiness of telling you how even the flowers love you and rejoice in your beauty. The princess, quite overcome by the strangeness of hearing a cabbage, a hen, and a pink speak, and by the terrible sight of an army of rats, suddenly became very pale, and fainted away. At this moment in came Bruno. Working hard in the heat had not improved his temper, and when he saw that Felicia had succeeded in finding her pinks, he was so angry that he dragged her out into the garden and shut the door upon her. The fresh air soon made her open her pretty eyes, and there before her stood the queen of the woods, looking as charmed as ever. You have a bad brother, she said. I saw he turned you out. Shall I punish him for you? Ah, no, madam, she said. I am not angry with him. But supposing he was not your brother, after all, what would you say then? asked the queen. Oh, but I think he must be, said Felicia. What? said the queen. You have not heard that you are a princess. I was told so a little while ago, madam. But how could I believe it without a single proof? Ah, dear child. The way you speak assures me that, 
in spite of your humble upbringing, you are indeed a real princess, and I shall save you from being treated in such a way again. She was interrupted at this moment by the arrival of a very handsome young man. He wore a coat of green velvet, fastened with emerald clasps, and a crown of pinks on his head. He knelt upon one knee and kissed the queen's hand. Ah, she cried. My pink, my dear son, what a happiness to see you restored to your natural shape by Felicia's aid. And she embraced him joyfully. Then, turning to Felicia, she said, Charming princess, I know all the hen told you. But you cannot have heard that the Safers, to whom was entrusted the task of carrying my son to the tower where the Queen, your mother, so anxiously waited for him, left him instead in a garden of flowers, while they flew off to tell your mother. Whereupon a fairy with whom I had quarrelled, changed him into a pink, and I could do nothing to prevent it. You can imagine how angry I was, and how I tried to find some means of undoing the mischief she had done, but there was no help for it. I could only bring Prince Pink to the place where you were brought up, hoping that when you grew up he might love you and by your care be restored to his natural form. And you see, everything has come right as I hoped it would. Your giving me the silver ring was the sign that the power of charm was nearly over, and my enemy's last chance was to frighten you with her army of rats. That she did not succeed in doing. So now, my dear Felicia, if you will be married to my son with this silver ring, your future of happiness is certain. Do you think him handsome and amiable enough to be willing to marry him? Madam, replied Felicia, blushing, you overwhelm me with your kindness. I know that you are my mother's sister and that by your art you turned the soldiers who were sent to kill me into cabbages, and my nurse into a hen, and that you do only too much to honour in proposing that I should marry your son. 
How can I explain to you the cause of my hesitation? I feel, for the first time in my life, how happy I would be to be beloved. Can you indeed give me the prince's heart? It is yours already, lovely princess, he cried, taking her hand in his. But for the horrible enchantment which kept me silent, I should have told you long ago how dearly I love you. This made the princess very happy, and the queen, who could not bear to see her dressed like a poor shepherdess, touched her with a wand, saying, I wish you to be attired as befits your rank and beauty. And immediately the princess's cotton dress became a magnificent robe of silver brocade embroidered with carbuckles, and her soft, dark hair was encircled with a crown of diamonds, from which floated a clear white veil. With her bright eyes and the charming colour in her cheeks, she was altogether such a dazzling sight that the prince could hardly bear it. How pretty you are, Felicia, he cried. Don't keep me in suspense. I entreat you, say that you will marry me. Ah, said the queen, smiling. I think she will not refuse now. Just then Bruno, who was going back to his work, came out of the cottage and thought he must be dreaming when he saw Felicia. But she called him very kindly and begged the queen to take pity on him. What? she said, when he was so unkind to you. Ah, madam, said the princess, I am so happy that I should like everyone else to be happy too. The queen kissed her and said, Well, to please you, let me see what I can do for this cross Bruno. And with a wave of her wand, she turned the poor little cottage into a splendid palace, full of treasures. Only the two stools and the two straw beds remained just as they were, to remind him of his former poverty. Then the queen touched Bruno himself and made him gentle and polite and grateful, and he thanked her and the princess a thousand times. Lastly, the queen restored the hen 
and the cabbages to their natural forms, and left them all very contented. The prince and the princess were married as soon as possible, with great splendor, and lived happily ever after. <laughs>